Welcome to Vintage Annals Archive with Rich Richie Wexler. Um, we are very excited to have you here today. Today is a bit of a tricky episode, uh, only in the fact that it's got some sadness and it's got some happiness. Um, it does involve suicide, so trigger warning if suicide is a topic that's upset, upsetting for you to hear about, or then you probably want to skip this one, or maybe you can ask a friend to listen Um there's, there, there is, is a suicide in the story, uh, and it does get a little tricky. So um, I want to introduce you to today's guest, uh, Gabriel Nathan, a really amazing human being. Um, a friend of mine thought we should connect because of just some interests. I had spent 20-some uh, years working in the psych field. Gabe had done the same kind of work. Uh, I think both Gabe and I landed on different, you know, getting kind of out of that world to a certain extent. I am fully out now. I am done. It's a very toxic world, in my opinion, and I will be no part of it any longer. Uh, but Gabe tells a really cool story involving... I don't want to give too much away, but involving Herbie the Love Bug and a dream that he essentially realized he had at, like, age five that he spent his whole life pursuing. So... You know, this episode is a, it can be dark and about suicide, but it's also about somebody, a very small child, having a dream and following it up to, 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 to pursue it until he achieved it and still does it in his, the game's mid-30s or something. He looks 22, but, you know, he's probably not. So <laughs> I'm being a little humorous today because, again, it is a little darker of a topic, but it's it's not a dark it's not a dark episode. It's just a dark topic. Um so without further ado, enjoy. Uh, I will have a few things to say at the end of this. And thank you again for listening to Vintage Annals Archive. Please check out our website of the same name, our Instagram, our Facebook, our YouTube. Um, I was going to make up a few more things that we don't really exist, but I'm going to skip that and keep going. So enjoy. Thank you so much, really, for uh, for being here listening. This is This is a dream of mine that's come true. And I have joy every second I get to do it. And for people to actually want to chime in and be part of it and listen, it's it's really an honor. So thank here you. Today, this is Vintage Annals Archive uh, podcast. We're here today with Gabe Nathan. Um, I met Gabe through a person named Rory. Rory, um, I met years ago. Uh, she, I, We're Facebook friends. She, I don't know, I, I imagine has some of the best collection of vintage stuff I've ever, I, I've never seen her collection I imagine she lives in like in her collection. Apparently, her collection is away or something. But she also does all these photo shoots with her, like you know, um, in in Graceland. As I've gotten to Rory a little more with this podcast, she, she thought we should we should connect. You will find out now why. I only met Rory once, um, so I own a Herbie the Love Bug replica, um, which is kind of the reason why I'm here. And um, Rory and I connected over. Uh, you know, our mutual affection for Disney in general, but Disney live action and, and that movie in particular. Um, on the 50th anniversary of the release of The Love Bug, um, I had coordinated with the Bryn Mawr Film Institute to do a screening of the original film, The Love Bug, nice. and to have my car parked outside. And lo and behold, Rory showed up at the film screening in a blue top, 
uh, I think it was like a red belt and a checkered flag right. skirt, and she just looked phenomenal. Um, and it Gosh. was such a joy to meet her there. And uh, you know, Rory works in mental health. I worked in mental health as well. What I do with the car is, of course, mental health and, and suicide awareness related. So that's kind of how we connected and, and how we found you. Let's go back a drink because I, sure. I want to. I want to paint a picture here. I want to tell a story of a young kid, a young Jewish boy, yeah. a nice Jewish boy. Uh, well, that's <laughs> sure, we can we can roll with that. You know, it's what the, it's what his mother wanted. Yeah. Um, and then you know how that stuff. I want to know how that stuff influenced you. Um, I don't know how you got the car. I want to know more about that. How you know this is something you just decided to do, or something you wanted to do for years. Let's tell the story. When do you want to start this? What, uh, what year? Let's start. Let's start in 1968. Okay. Um, we'll start in 68 when filming for the Love Bug began. Okay. And the very first day of shooting for the Love Bug. Uh, and this is a, a live-action Disney film. This is the last film that Walt Disney officially blessed and sanctioned to go okay. proceed. And then he passed away uh, from lung cancer. Didn't get to see the film made, but it was the last one with his kind of stamp of approval. Um, the very first day of shooting of The Love Bug was a scene on the Golden Gate Bridge. In this scene, Herbie, who is a, a, a sentient 1963 Volkswagen Beetle, has been jilted by his owner, uh, Jim Douglas, played by Dean Jones. And Herbie drives off by himself. Jim has just purchased a brand new Lamborghini and as a big kind of fuck you to Herbie. And Herbie, <laughs> fuck you. And Herbie's like, well, fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> and so Herbie drives away through the streets of San Francisco. This was later cut out of the G. This, this was in the R version. The that's G right. version did not have any of the cursing. So, but, cursing. But, the, but the G version does have a, a suicide attempt by, by an automobile. Shit. It is. It's the only automobile that's ever tried to kill himself, and a motion picture was in. in I don't want to laugh, but it's hard not to want to well, so laugh. But that's that's we're dark. Gonna, we're going to talk about. So Herbie drives through the streets of San Francisco, and Dean Jones is chasing him on foot, calling him Herbie, Herbie, and and he finally finds Herbie half over the Golden Gate Bridge, and his rear tires are spinning, trying to push himself over the Golden Holy Gate Bridge. Shit! And it's actually like, as you the word for cleft, like you get. That's watching this. Dude, would you say that this was meant to, the audience was meant to understand this? I think or children were meant to understand I think this? children, no. Because when I saw it at age five. You knew. I, no. I oh. was just like, oh, Herbie's trying to get away from Jim. He's, he does, he's, he's run, because of course he's, he is running away through the streets of San Francisco. And then you see him over the bridge as just an extension of that. Holy fuck. But watching that as an adult and, you know, growing up. Uh, you do you realize he's trying to take his own life at the the spot where it, it's the it's the biggest suicide spot in the nation, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, there are dozens and dozens of attempts at the and Golden Gate Bridge That's why it was year. there. So oh it was God. no accident that that's that's the spot. Have that you researched that? Do you know what it was? It some suicidal writer or some? Oh, no. Oh, that, why why it was written that like, way? Why did they? Well, yeah. the film takes place in San Francisco. And I think it was just a convenient spot. But, however, in reality, the Golden Gate Bridge is, is very, very well known uh, for suicide. But who would have, I guess what I'm saying is some, somebody who wrote that or storyboarded it or, or created it made that decision. Do you know anything about that? I don't, actually. I don't. But, I'm curious you know, to find out more I, about that. I have, to, I have to imagine that Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, who wrote the film, you know, they lived in the area. They know people jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. It's and they're like, well, let's let's do that. Is there other social commentary in the film? I mean, would it, would it make sense to have that 
social commentary would be part of in, in, in the language of the movie? Was there other references to things? Yes, there is social commentary related to like hippies. Okay, uh, you know, there's a scene with hippies in the film. Um, I haven't watched it. There's a, a reference kid. to to Hate Ashbury, like okay. a, a very vague reference to marijuana use. Oh my god, this, um, is, this is making Herbie sound so much better than I imagined. It as a kid. is. It is better than you imagined as a kid. I'm gonna watch this again. So anyway, so Dean Jones finds Herbie half over the bridge, and he screams, "No, Herbie, don't!" And he jumps and holds on to his rear bumper, and Herbie floors it and is trying to push himself over, and Jim is pulling, and then Jim gets up on the on the trunk, which is in the front of the car, and he's trying to pull him back, and he says, come on, baby, it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. And then Jim loses his footing, he slides down the hood and is holding onto the front bumper, dangling over the water, it's a soundstage, but over the, quote, water, and then at that point, Herbie realizes, whoa, this has gone too far. He puts himself in reverse he and saves. goes back and he saves Jim. But so, yeah, uh, that's, and that, so that scene, obviously out of sequence, it's a you know, film, they shot that on the very first day. That was Dean's first day on the set, was doing that scene. The suicide and, scene the first And he day. says in, in the DVD commentary, he says, you know, it was hard for me to kind of not laugh because, you know, here's a car trying to kill himself. Um, and yet... One of the other actors in the film, David Tomlinson, um, is a very brilliant British actor. Um, what was his part? I don't really know. He was the villain, Peter okay. Thorndike. And he played Mr. Banks in um, Mary Poppins. Okay. Um, the professor. Just something for the nerds, which yeah. is everybody on our the, the professor in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Okay. A brilliant uh, comedic, comic actor. Um, David Tomlinson was married uh, during World War II. And uh, very, very briefly um, to a young woman who lost her husband in the war. He was a fighter pilot. Okay. They had two sons. And then she married Tomlinson. Okay. Um, Tomlinson was sent back overseas, and she was stuck in New York with her two sons from the previous marriage. Was extremely distraught over not being able to be with him. There were visa issues. She also had untreated mental illness. She went to the top of a building with her two sons and jumped off. Uh, so it's I've always, always thought, and he, David Tomlinson has never, and he's long passed away now, but he never spoke about the impact of the the suicide scene in the Love Bug. I, I have to wonder how that hit him. You know, you're obviously you're confronted with things in your daily life. And, uh, he may have even been in other films where suicide was was part of the script or something like that but of course as a man you don't talk about those things uh, particularly as a British man you yeah, stiff upper right, lip and all right, that right. Um, you just carry on yeah and um, I find that also happens in minorities a lot especially like, absolutely more than other more than other other cultures pray it away you yeah, don't talk about what happens in the family um, there's all all every, I feel like every different culture has their own toxic version of we don't talk about this. And then I feel like what happens is the person who names it is now outcast because well, sure, you're, like, hey, you're the problem. You're, if you, right. if you uh, name something and I am this in my family, yeah, I'm, if I'm, you're the one who goes to therapy and you're the one who talks about yeah. things and you're the one who wants to dig under the, the dirt, yeah. you're the problem. Especially when you're making people feel or think when they don't want to. And then they blame you for any further trauma they had by even thinking about something. Yeah. But that's the fucking world. I saw The Love Bug when I was five years old. So now we're jumping ahead from 68 to, to 1985. How many films are we talking about? So The Love Bug, uh, Herbie Rides Again. Okay. Herbie Goes Bananas. That's the third. So there's Herbie the Goes to Monte Carlo. 
Okay. And then there was kind of a 20-year span where there was basically nothing. And then the Lindsay Lohan piece of shit that I've ever seen. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love that you just... Perfectly yeah. fully loaded. I just pretend like it was never made, yeah. really. Someone suggested to me this morning, was like, yeah, Lindsay Lohan. I was like, yeah, whatever. There was a very short-lived television show. Okay. We don't have to count the Lindsay Lohan one. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't count it. <laughs> I, I really count it as four. It's the Love Bug, Ar- Rides Again, Monte Carlo, uh, Bananas. Tell me just a little bit about your experience. Have you seen all those films? I have. What, they get worse, better, Rides watching? Again, Rides Again was fine uh, because it was also <laughs> directed by Robert Stevenson, who directed okay. The Love Bug. So it has that like that warm feeling to it. Yeah. Um, you've got George Bruns, who did the music for The Love Bug, also did for Rides okay. Again. There's, there's a lot of that same kind of feeling. It's also a weird title considering... That there's a suicide scene in the, in the first right, movie. Right. Yeah. I wonder if there's if that's purposeful or not. I'd, probably not. The strange thing is, is that there's no, you know, Herbie's a race car, right? And, and the Love Bug has so many beautifully filmed and choreographed racing scenes, where you know they shoved a Porsche engine in that and they really raced it. Um, there's no CGI in '68. Do you know how they chose that car? Yes, I do. They obviously knew they were making a film about a sentient car. Um, and it was never specified what kind of car it was to be. Okay. So those involved in making this film brought in a Volvo, a VW, an MG, uh, a Toyota, and they lined them up in this kind of big area. And the writers of the film told staff working on the film, and in just in Disney in general, they, I think they put the building near like the cafeteria. So people had to walk, you know, cast it to and fro and said, hey, interact with these cars and, and we just want to watch and see what happens. Well, it, what happened was it was grown men in, in you know, white collared shirts, smoking and with skinny ties, going up to these cars and the VW was the only one that they had. And every other car was white. The Beetle was the only car that these grown men smoking their cigarettes would, yeah. would reach out and pet. Interesting. And Interesting. they knew that's our car. That's yeah. it. They held auditions and the Beetle rose to the top. It's the cutest car. It was the warmest, you know, giving you the warmest feelings. And by 68, the Beetle had evolved and became a symbol of liberal pro- college professors well, drove them. The hippies drove them. It's a socialist car, but it's the wrong socialist at the Correct. time, but it's still the same intention. Yes. Have a car for everybody that you could easily fix. Yep. Apparently, I was cheap, told cheap to, you could, cheap to you could, maintain. You could, yeah, you could fix it. There was the parts are simple enough to kind of do on your own. Yes. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to have a Beetle. I never could figure it out because it's not a practical car for me. It's it, I've never loved the car as much as I love. And I even thought about getting a new ones, but missed, they missed the mark. Yeah, they suck. I've even still thought about having one because of the love of the other car. Uh, right. So I, I saw the film in 1985. Um, my aunt, Rena, was visiting from Israel. Um, my father's side is from Israel. Rena so was- Where'd you grow up in I grew up in Lower Marion Township. My aunt was visiting from Israel. My parents used her visit as a, a reason to go out for the, for dinner together. Yeah. Rena was babysitting me. Brought, we brought the film home, yeah. put it in the Betamax player, and I was gone. I mean, uh, like, in yeah. love. So it was it was over when I saw that film. Like, it tell was, me more about that. Tell me about the. Can you remember that experience? I, you remember, I just remember being completely mesmerized. Was it the first time you had seen a VH, a movie at home? No, I don't think so. Okay, uh-huh. so it wasn't the it wasn't the, the that the nostalgia of it was just the movie. Itself. It was just magic. It was nice. absolute magic. And I loved cars just as a little boy, just playing with cars and cars. But like the the that was my first like obsession. Um, something just broke. Did you feel like you understood the character? Did they do a good job of, 
Like, I mean, how do you, you know, it's funny. I feel like now if that was made, it would be, it would be talking. Well, but right. Back in the so, day. It's so funny. Everybody who sees me, who sees the car, not everybody, but most people are like, oh yeah, he'll probably start talking. Never fucking talked. <laughs> right. People, but I mean. People remember. But people remember. misremember. It's the same right? with, the, I mean, I'm thinking about this because the Benji Yes. Now maybe right. they overdub Benji, but Benji didn't move his fucking mouth. Right, right, right. Hunks. Just hunks. Okay. Just because he's fucking car. Yeah. Um, but the personality of him, yeah. he's he's honest, he's endearing, he's loyal. Does he have a face? Kind of. No. Do the eye, no, no, no. Never. The no. eyes don't. Nope. I haven't seen it's this movie headlights. since I was it's, a kid. It's literally it's just headlights. Okay. It's, they. I think in the later films they anthropomorphized him a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. But, but in the original now. film, yeah. No. It is literally just a car, um, but through his actions, um, he is honest. He is loyal, dependable. Nice. Um, he's a little bit mischievous. <laughs> he pees oil on David Tomlinson's shoe. Uh, he like farts out of his exhaust pipe with cream and stuff. Uh, David Tomlinson tries to disable him by pouring Irish cream, Irish coffee into his gas tank. So Herbie farts out there with cream. Did Herbie get drunk in that situation? He does. He does. And David Tomlinson and Buddy Hackett get loaded together in this fucking children's movie. I just think it's funny when you have kids films having all this aversion, yes. either purposeful or not. It's almost funny when it's not purposeful. Correct. But to hear all the story about this, like, there's drugs, there's drinking, there's an yeah. attempted suicide. That's yeah. fucking crazy. And it's rated G. The, the craziest thing is, is during the last race, it's the big race, it's the El Dorado, it's the finale of the race, and you've got David Tomlinson... And he has his co-driver uh, next to him, and, the, and his character's name is Habishaw. And he's okay. just kind of sniveling, like, you know, sidekick. And uh, David Thompson parks his race car, like, in the middle of the race, and he says, you may open the wine now, Habishaw. And they open champagne, and they're both drinking behind the wheel of a race car. And then he says, get rid of that slop, and he pours the, the champagne in Habishaw's face, and he starts driving. They're drinking champagne in the middle of a road race. It's crazy. So we've got drinking and driving. We've got suicide. Uh, we've got poisoning a car, uh, getting a car drunk. Um, it's a lot. I feel like what, I, what I'm picking up, I feel like there's a certain morality of, like, you know, parents and parents groups that were fighting all these different things. And I feel like, you know, in some ways they left Disney alone. It's like they're always, like, more like Disney. Right, right, Less right. like this. Right, but, right. like, if you look at Disney, it's some dark fucking shit. Yeah, but then, then people just go, oh, well, that's all in good fun. And Disney gets a pass on everything. Everything. But let's let's go back to let's segue that into your work mental health, you know, the connection with mental health and herbie. You know, sure. Let's really so let's get to that. So the psych hospital is a good place to start. Um, so working at a locked inpatient crisis psychiatric hospital, um, I was constantly exposed to people who were there because of either suicide attempt or suicidal ideation. Um, asking them questions about suicide, uh, seeing them when they were first admitted, seeing them a week or two in, stabilize their medication, seeing them as they were preparing to be discharged, talking to them, learning about what was their mindset when they were contemplating or attempting suicide. And you're a counselor in this, right? So I, I had a couple roles. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, I just wanted to clarify okay. what your job was. I was, was. hired uh, as an allied therapist, which was essentially I was running psychoeducational and recreational groups. Nice. So I would do anything from teaching coping with depression or anxiety to helping out with bingo to doing a creative writing group, nice. you know, all, all kinds you. of stuff like that. And I would also do one-on-one -on -one interviews with patients. I would have a, a list of you know eight or so patients I would have to see in the course of a day and really get to know them. 
And same as your facility. Sometimes people were there for 72 hours. Sometimes they were there for 72 days uh, or more. It's technically a short stay facility, but for a lot of patients who have placement issues, some folks were there for a while. The place I was at, there's some kids who were there for two years. Yeah. So long story short, um, my twins were born while I was working there. Uh, it got to be very, very stressful for me, parent of newborns and working in this dangerous environment. I got assaulted in 2012. Oh, sorry. It was basically like, I'm fuck this. I'm not. I'm done. I'm not interested. Were you okay? Were you hurt? Or uh, I was hurt. Um, I think for me, it was more, it was a very fucked up situation. Um, I mean, you don't need to get that. I'm, just, yeah, I'm naturally going to ask, but don't, I don't it, want to re-traumatize you. It was you. basically trauma on top of trauma um, and then trauma from administration. Uh, so it was, it was really ugly. I tried to resign. The medical director refused to accept my resignation. She said, you're too valuable here. I don't want to lose you. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm leaving. Uh, and she said, well, what can we do to keep you? And I said, give me a job that gets me off the unit. I'm done. I'm done working downstairs. Yeah. So they basically invented a job for me um, called development specialist. And since it was a nonprofit hospital, she, I said, I know grant writing. I can write. I can do a lot of different things. So she nice. said, okay, get us grants. Um so that's what I did my last two years working there. I shared an office with the director of suicide prevention. And I learned a lot from him. Um, having conversations with Are him every single day. That, name that person or is that not his? Sure. Uh, yeah, his name's Tony Salvatore. Okay. Um, he's very well known in the suicide prevention field. He's an Italian. I've seen he's an Italian guy, right? Like kind of short, uh, full, like stocky, little, yes, like muscle. Yep, yep. I used to be following him on Facebook or something. He's, Nice He's guy. very, very active, very, yeah. writes a lot of scholarly articles about suicide nice. and prevention. He yeah. knows a lot. Um, nice. So I learned a lot from Tony. Um, and I'm very grateful to him for everything that he taught me. He and I did, uh, in 2014, we did a collaboration with SEPTA where we put signs for the Lifeline, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, all across all 450 miles of SEPTA's rail. Oh, so anytime awesome. you see a, a sign at a SEPTA station or a railroad crossing for suicide, uh, he and I did that. Wow, that's really great um, work. So, again, learned a lot from him. Uh, I left the hospital in 2015, got this car in 2017. I was done. Yeah, yeah. I was totally it's a hard, burned out. Yeah. Having been in the field, it's most people don't make it past two years of working in that field. Yeah. And that's five, like you're five a veteran. Was, five was, you're a veteran. You're like... I think working in a psych hospital for five years is like working anywhere else for 20. Yeah, it, and it definitely felt like that. Yeah. And there were a lot of changes. A lot of people were getting fired or quitting or being laid off. And I was like, okay, the writing's on the wall. I'm, I'm out of here. But as I was driving Herbie around, then I started working for this organization called OC87 Recovery Diaries, which I is... I know. There's a movie that you... There's a, there was, there was yeah. a document. I, yeah. I know that work. So I think they had a poster of that... And my, well, I can't tell where I work, but I, where I worked. Was Liz, Liz Spickle involved with that? Yes. So Liz, um, Liz used to be, uh, she was a journalist. Yeah, I've known um, Liz through, through city shit through, like, I used yeah. to do, like, shows, and I've known her. She's a And she's in that world, too, right? Yeah, and she's lovely. She's a solid fucking person. And we did a story about her, um, and she's wonderful. Nice. So what we do at OC87 Recovery Diaries is tell mental health Stories. So that's what you're talking about before. Yes. That's amazing, man. That's through, really good work. personal essays. Uh, yeah. We publish a new personal essay every week, and huh. we do a new documentary film every month. Um, that's so, really fucking great, man. Thank you. So, yeah. so people 
people would stop me to talk about the car. And then I guess it's unusual for a young guy to own a classic car. It's generally like a boomer thing. They've got the money, you know, they've retired and they've got their money. So they buy a Plymouth fucking Barracuda or a Ford Mustang and they, and that's your thing. But I, so people would ask me like, so what do you do? And I would say, oh, well, I used to... Do they just, assume you retired because you own that car? I don't know. I guess that they assume I'm well off, and I'm definitely not. Right. Um, but, like, so, so what do you do? So I would say, well, I just got done working at a psychiatric hospital, and now I work for this mental health organization. And so then the conversation would start to turn towards, oh, well, you know, my son has mental health issues, or my wife, or my... People would just start opening up to me and telling me, stuff about their life and you know being in mental health i'm a good listener i try to be a good listener i would have these very long conversations with people at the supermarket in the parking lot yeah. or at picking up a cheesesteak or whatever and so i thought to myself like well there's a reason a lot of jews are psychiatrists i guess therapists and they're all fucked up it's another reason <laughs> it's true but like if, if <laughs> i'm having these conversations kind of organically yeah why don't I just make them happen right. by using this car to promote mental health awareness and suicide? And awareness. it's such a good, good way because it's like extraneous. Plus, it's start. It's a conversation that seems. I mean, you've done more, but I'm assuming they get a burst of happiness, and that probably yes. it lets them. It lets their guard down. Lets, right. I'm approachable. The car is approachable. Very, you're, yeah, yeah. People want to take. I mean, I just watched you kind of with very, very, you know, just to people, and you were yeah, very. With two Philly cops, if you can be, yeah. if you can make them smile and laugh and be approachable, oh, you know, you can win over anybody. Part um, of me was kind of hoping, not hoping, but it, that'd be funny if they just wrote you a ticket for having your car backwards. I was driving on the fucking sidewalk, turning right, it around, right. and all of a sudden the cop car's there. I was like, oh, yeah. fuck me. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. That's but, funny. But they were lovely. Yeah. And, and I think it's part of the car disarms people. Because um, yeah. he's a lovely little thing. And well, so, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's part of the, the magic of what I do. That's amazing, know? man. Um, Okay, let's. I'm gonna wrap it up in a few minutes, sure. just because we, you know, we. I think we have great stuff here. Um, looking back at the start of the story, you know, I want to. I want to kind of try and connect the moment of the the moment that seen that film, the suicide scene. Well, here's, what you're here's doing the now. What's here's yeah, the connection? Give me, give me that. In in twenty in two thousand four, uh, I'm sitting at work. I was not working in the mental health field at this point, and the phone rang, and it was my mother, and she said. Um, Listen, Rita killed herself today, um, and Dad is out of his mind, and he's booking a, a flight to Israel, and his other brother and sister. I'm really sorry, man. It's sorry. okay. Um, his other brother and sister moved to Australia, so she's like, David and Ruti are flying from Australia to Israel. Dad is flying to Israel tonight, um, and I was just like, you know, we'd never had a loss from suicide in our family. And, and I was the first time in our family that we had lost someone young. Yeah. Um, so it was she a, was around was, 60 or something? Yeah, in two, 2004, she was 58. So I learned later that she had actually killed herself at a psychiatric hospital in Israel. She jumped out the window. Um, and she had chronic paranoid skits and was very delusional, um, very paranoid. Um, but I didn't know any of that on the phone. With her, I didn't even know Rena. Were you close with her? I know she took you to see her, but which is a connection, not, but not, not, not super really. close. It was very hard to be close. To, she was very reclusive. Yeah. Um, sometimes she was doing better than others, but I didn't know. Like yeah. we didn't talk about anything. Yeah. We didn't talk about anything related to anything like that growing up. 
So yeah, I grew up in a very similar family. It's fine. So it's very everyone's fine. No one's no everyone's doing fine. Hey, I'm mad at dad. Don't tell well, dad. Yes, yes, yes. That's it the was worst always it was always part. like that. Don't talk about this. Uh, don't talk about so and so. Everybody knows. Everybody, everybody knows. And you know, and it's it's your you know, and, and I mean, when I was a kid, I knew everybody knew, but I knew they couldn't, and I could tell the feelings, I could feel it. I'm just like, why don't we just have a fucking conversation? Right? No, you can't do that. Uh, you can't do that. I can't tell you how many communities I've been in, jobs I'm in, where I'm like, just fucking have this conversation right. with me. And so that's why 988, which is the suicide lifeline, so they changed over in July, on July 16th. That's why that is on the back of my car. Okay. That is why the word suicide is on the back of my car. On the back of my car, in the entire length of the window, it says suicide is preventable. Uh, call, because text, chat, 988. Not just because of that, but because, but the connection with because the- I grew up in a family where you don't talk about anything. And I just want people to fucking talk. I just want people to fucking talk about it. Yeah. Talk about rape. Talk about suicide. Talk about assault. I'm talk in the same trauma. boat you are. Um, it's not easy to get people to talk about anything like that. And I also can't fault somebody for not wanting to, but it's just going to eat them out loud if they don't. Right. And I, my message is don't talk about it until you're ready. I don't want to try to force someone. But you want to also be sure they're you're. And you know, let people know that there's safe people out so there. You're, so your job now, I mean, is your, do you feel like you're a conduit to get people to that? Yes. That's, Which is that's such a great... I, that's how I look at myself. And especially with the car, like, here's a little joy. He sparks a happy memory. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, talking about dreams, like, it, I feel like you bought into this dream, but it also it feels super purposeful in a lot of ways. I feel like you probably see things kind of happen organically because of, you know, I think dreams are intentions. When you have an right. intention, you are on a certain path because it's your intention. It's a dream. You're not always making rational decisions, or, or I definitely but, not. But it's happening, and you're—I mean—and you're living these dreams. You're living that same, you know, from that experience. That film made you live your life yes. in a certain way, which yes. is amazing because a lot of people talk about not, you know, not hearing, like won't listen to that, won't, you know, they'll ignore the dreams. I could, I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. You couldn't, which is probably why you're more, which is why you're doing the work you're doing. You're wired to not, not ignore, to not. That's probably the dynamic of why you're a good helper, because you're like, hey, man, like, you know, I'll tell you something when we're done that ties to this that I don't want to necessarily record. Sure, sure. But let's call it a day. This is great. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I really want to thank you for listening to that episode. It's one of my favorites. It's just a great, great story. Um, Obviously a little tough, but, you know, we really try to... We try to talk about issues that are important to people that we know are dealing with, so we're getting more into mental health talking about mental health, that kind of thing, because we really want to try to help people really understand that this stuff is is normal and it happens, and we want to we want to help facilitate conversations around tough things. Um, thank you so much. You are the next episode that should come out would be Eddie Davis. Eddie Davis performed at my bar mitzvah in 1984 or three, and is a hoot and is a great musician. And we're going to talk about his just world fucking playing music for you know. 30, 40 years. Um, Eddie's old school, and it's, it's a great conversation. Uh, I always, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's coming up, so look out for it. Again, check out our website, uh, com. We have Instagram with the same name. We've got a YouTube with the same name. We have a website of the same name. There's a lot of content on the website to check out. The, we have these deep dives that are actually meant for people that read them to... Uh, give them a framework to research all different kinds of interesting people that we try to highlight on our page. It's really exciting. Uh, as a teacher, I really like to make educational content. So enjoy. Thanks for coming. See you around the uh, vintage stuff, the things, the, you know, 
the stuff you're looking for that's old will be will be near there. If you're looking for old shit and you look around, <laughs> we'll be there staring at you awkwardly, waiting for you to finish and trying to send you vibes of go quicker. It's our turn. So enjoy. Thank you. Look around.